Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3-133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111 on this glorious Tuesday morning. I say glorious because the Astros got a big win last night. It was, you know, it's not very often where you score one run in a game and you win. That that doesn't happen very often. And so it's it's a it, it was it was a nice thing to see. Hunter Brown made his major league debut and pitched very well. I was a little surprised they didn't let him go out for the seventh. Uh, I think it was more of a rookie versus veteran thing. In other words, coaches and managers are real big on if a young guy or someone coming off an injury or someone coming off of they hadn't pitched in a long time, if they give you five or six innings, you want them to leave with that good feeling. And it is true that the ball, two or three of the balls hit in his last four or five outs were really right on the nose, just right at people. So he wasn't totally fooling them. And so they probably figured, you know what? Let's just let him have six shutout innings, feel totally good about um, what he's done, and, you know, go from there. It worked out. The bullpen did well. And, again, we will be speaking with Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal in about about a half hour, about 9.35 in we will discuss Hunter Brown and Brian Abreu and several other issues having to do with the Astros. Look forward to that. By the way, just, again, I know it's football season, but I just want to keep you a Astros. The Yankees won yesterday. They beat the Twins. This, they always beat the Twins. Like the Twins are like, when they see the Yankees, they just crumble. Like they just Oh no, we're playing the Yankees. We can't beat them, and they just—it's just unbelievable. They just—they are scared to death of the Yankees. Um, but so the Yankees won last night. They're still six behind the Astros. Seattle finally lost the game, and they're eleven back. Uh, the the Rays won. Toronto swept a doubleheader from the Orioles. So now the Rays and the Mariners are tied for the wild card lead. The Blue Jays are now only a half a game back, and the Orioles are four and a half back. So it's eh, it's still plenty of time. I mean, four and a half back, they can overcome. But but um, but it, I, you know, I think it's a pretty safe bet. It's gonna. We kind of know who the three wild card teams are gonna be, but we'll see. Still got to play. Still got thirty something games to go. So we'll see what happens. The the Indians finally got another win, and the White Sox beat Seattle. So in that American League Central division, the 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 uh, what are they now? The Guardians are one game up on the Twins and two up from the White Sox. We've been waiting all year for the White Sox. Are they gonna Are they gonna do anything? Are they gonna do anything? 
of late, they're starting to show some signs that they might become the 2021 St. Louis Cardinals, who did nothing for, you know, five months and then all of a sudden got hot and made the playoffs. Now, they don't have as much ground to overcome as the Cardinals did a year ago, but I'm just talking about their quality of play. Um, and many people are suggesting that perhaps Tony La Russa not being there is a big part of that. It could be. In the National League, the Dodgers are still seven and a half up. The Brewers are two games back in the wild card, so we'll continue to kind of follow that that race as well. And, of course, the Braves are one game behind the Mets in the NL ESPN division. It's kind of strange. It's kind of, for Saints fans out there, doesn't it seem kind of strange? It's like the calm before the storm. It's, you know, last week was all this upheaval. It was last Tuesday on this show right before Cody came on that, and Cody will be coming on at, at 10.15-ish again, that we learned of the Chauncey Gardner-Johnson trade, and I was in shock like a lot of Saints fans were. And Hannah was seemingly reveling in my misery by giving that news with that little smirk on her face. You don't think so? You enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? I did not enjoy it whatsoever. (laughs) Okay, I just want to make sure. I dreaded having to tell you because (laughs) the guys had messaged in the group text about the tweet, and I was like, oh, I have to tell Foot." (laughs) Oh, it was bad. It took two segments for me to tell you. It was bad. The tweet. (laughs) It was bad. It was bad. But anyway, we got over it. It's a week later. Time heals, as they say. Um, So, you know... And so, so now that you kind of sort of accepted it for what it is, you know you kind of got the raw end of the deal and the trade, but you kind of accepted it. You realize what the wisdom behind it is and how it could turn out good and blah, blah, blah. But it's like it's game week, and we've been waiting so long. And then last week we had that and the Marcus May and you just felt like, oh, no, here we go again. And it's just like, the. I mean, when, look, when the game, when Sunday gets here, it's going to be fun. The first time Jameis Winston completes a pass, the first time, you know, Z28 breaks a run, the first time they get a sack on a quarterback, especially if it's Davenport, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to, all the excitement will be there. It's just right now, it's like, been waiting for so long, trying to suppress it, and then we, we had the the you know the counter punch to the gut last week with two bits of news that were very hard to swallow, and then now this week it's like I know it's game week in my mind, but I'm just kind of numb still from last week. It's just strange. It's like all this waiting, and now finally, you know. You can kind of breathe a little bit from the gut punches from last week, and yet, I don't know. I'm still kind of numb. It's just a really strange feeling. Um, you know, the week, not even though it's game week, it's like, ugh, I don't know. The, the game just needs to get here, and they need to win, and then we can get all that negativity kind of out of your system. At least that's kind of how I feel as a Saints fan. 
Um, you know, something that's kind of fallen by the wayside because we've been talking a lot of college football, obviously, with the start of college football season and Major League Baseball going on and high school football that we, um, by Thursday, only got two days to finalize NFL predictions. And we kind of talked about it three or four weeks ago, and we, and we hinted at it here and there, but not really talked about it. So I think most of the league, from the first glance that I made, I don't know, when was that? The second week of August, something like that. Um, seems like, not again, not to say that I'm going to get them right, because you know you're not going to get everything right. Um, but it seems like it's going to be some pretty easy decisions. There's a couple teams that I still don't know about. I, I really think the Minnesota Vikings, and we kind of talked about that with Guru last Thursday, but I really think they're one of the swing teams in 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 the NFL, especially in the NFC. Like, they could be really good, at least on offense. I still don't know how good they're going to be on defense. But offensively, they could be really good. Like, they've got weapons. And I know everyone loves to laugh at Kirk Cousins, but he's not – he's an above-average NFL quarterback. I'm not saying he's elite, but – He's somewhere between above average and elite. Like he's 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 a good legitimate passer in the NFL from a fantasy standpoint for sure. And uh, you know we'll see about everything else. I, I don't know about their defense. It, it hasn't been very good, and so we'll see. But they're kind of one of the swing teams. I say I can't figure them out, but. Um, I mean, am I really going to pick the Lions over them? No. Am I really going to pick the Bears over them? No. Am I going to pick them to beat the Packers? Probably not. So it's kind of, again, in terms of the overall picture, playoffs, and could they make a run and all that, I don't know that I'm ready to go that far. Maybe playoffs, but make a run, I don't know. But So they're pretty easy to pick second. I mean, that's just pretty easy. Uh, it just seems like most of my predictions, when I actually put pen to paper over the next 40, sometime over the next 48 hours, I don't think it's going to be that difficult in most of these divisions. It's kind of played out. I, I think the division I think that's going to be the most difficult is the AFC North. Because I know everyone, I know it. It seems like well, the Steelers aren't going to be good. We're talking about the Steelers. They made the playoffs last year with arguably the worst quarterback play in the entire NFL, and they still made the playoffs. How they did it, nobody knows, but they did. They made the playoffs with the worst quarterback play in the NFL. So. How are they not going to be better? Now, I know y'all all love to laugh and miss Trubisky, and I get it. He's like the butt of many jokes over the last two or three years. I get it. But can there's no way he can be worse than Ben Roethlisberger was last year. There's, there's no way. He was terrible. And so I'm still not ready to say, well, the Steelers aren't making the playoffs. 
You know me. I think the Bengals are due for a medicine season. But how much of a medicine season? I, you know, I think it's going to be a big medicine season. But I do think that Joe Burrow is a cold buddy killer. Not literally, but you know what I mean. I mean that kind of as a compliment. Um, and so I give them a little, maybe a, a hair more than if it was, uh, you know, a different kind of quarterback kind of moxie-wise. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, who knows who, who knows what in the world is going to happen with them. I mean, <laughs> they could be – it wouldn't shock me if they're good because they've got a lot of good players on their team. But they, you know, supposedly all this controversy has an effect on them, but can that really be true? So I don't know. what. And the Ravens, like – they have their own mess. They have this quarterback who doesn't have an agent. They haven't still haven't signed a contract yet. You know, he's been kind of active on social media. So how is all that going to play out? They, we still don't know how healthy their running back situation is. Um, so that that there's the the four teams in that division is like I don't you don't I don't really know. I don't have a firm grasp on any of those four teams. Really, any of them could finish first or last, and I don't think it would surprise me in that division. It's just, it's four teams filled with question marks. And I don't know. Now, a lot of people might say, well, why do you think? If you don't believe in medicine seasons, then I can see where someone would say the Bengals have no question marks. They're just going to be good. Well, again, um, then you just don't believe in in the wisdom behind medicine seasons, which I I believe for many, many, for a long, long time. And so I, I think they're going to have one. It's just how big a one are they going to have? For some people, it's I make the playoffs and lose in the first round. That That's a really good medicine season. The Bengals are such a poster child for one. I just, I don't know. So I think that division is going to be the toughest to, to kind of handicap. A lot of these other visions have kind of worked them as well. You know, at the beginning of the year, I didn't know what to think of the New England Patriots. But, man, everything you've heard throughout the entire month of August was negative, 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 negative. Can you buy all of that? I don't know. I I, I still don't understand the wisdom of having a second-year quarterback and then changing everything up on him. So, essentially, he's a rookie all over again. Now, he's got the game experience, but... He doesn't have the, any continuity whatsoever from the year before. You know, essentially, to me, Mac Jones is a rookie again because he's learning a whole new offense with a whole new play call. Everything's new. I don't um That just doesn't sound good to me. Um. So, I don't know. I think that – I think the uh, – and the, the the one more thing, and then we'll get to our, our first time out. But the team that on paper does not look like they're going to be anywhere near as good as they were last year is the Tennessee Titans. Like, I don't know about them. They, they lost their best linebacker last week in Landry. You know, who are they going to throw to? Is Robert Woods even going to be healthy? I... um. I don't know. On paper, they don't look too good. I, I don't know about the Titans. 
And then I don't know about anybody else in that division other than maybe the Colts. I think Matt Ryan is better than people think. I think the average NFL fan, he's a little better than they think he is. And he's certainly better than Raymond's little quarterback. <laughs> Whew, man, what a mess. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll have open phone lines for one more segment. And then again, at about 935, we'll be talking with Michael Schwab at a juice box journal about the Astros. Lots to consider there. We'll be back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Casper the Quitter. Casper the Quitter. Now, the former New Orleans Saints longtime head coach who quit on the team after a tough season. Also known as Sean Payton. Now back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote. Want to remind you about the ultimate tailgate giveaway. 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles would like to get you set up to potentially win the ultimate tailgate giveaway where you could win $500 to chop specialty meats. Man, what a great prize that is just by itself. A new grill with accessories, a cooler, a set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, tickets to LSU and UL football games and more. To enter this great prize or to be eligible to win this great prize, you got to register in the Games Rewards Club. And if you do, you could win the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. There is, you know, it's kind of, sometimes Tuesday can kind of be a second Monday Obviously, there was so much talk on social media, off social media about the LSU-Florida State game, all, you know, all kind of conversation, uh, you know, Coach Kelly, Coach Napier wanted Florida, and, oh, you know, angst here and there. Again, we went into this season and this past weekend, season opener, saying this is a team filled with question marks. Um, and we came out of this game saying this is a team filled with question marks. I don't know that that, that changed. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting to see as the game went on, like Makai got burned that once really bad, then he made a couple pretty good plays after that. Um, so the secondary... I'm not going to – I think a lot of the plays that were made against them, I got to give credit to Travis, the, the quarterback for Florida State. I, I think he is better than I expected him to be. I mean, I I thought he was pretty good, just what I've heard of him. But when I actually watched him the whole game on Sunday, he made a lot of plays. We mentioned that yesterday. I, I, I think – 
I think in a lot of those plays, you got to just give you got to give him credit because he really made something out of nothing several times. You know, he showed great vision down the field. So look, um, the question mark uh, in some people's minds. There are more question marks after the opener, but I don't know that there are any more question marks. There, just so many of the question marks that we had going into were really legitimate. You know, got a lot of legitimacy. Like you're like there was. There's no doubt now. There's questions here. There's no doubt. There's questions there and there. I think we, there were questions just because we were unclear or didn't have any idea what to expect. But now, you know, there's a lot of questions and. Playing Southern, you know, should help. Um, but there's not that much time between now and, you know, SEC opener against Mississippi State. So it will, um, we'll, 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 we'll see how that plays out. We'll be talking more about the Cajuns and their opener and their next game and the Sunbelt Conference uh, with Cody Juno and at about in about 45 minutes or so in about 10:15 so we'll be talking more with that and if you have um any comments between now and then certainly feel free to do so on the Cajuns or or the Tigers for sure i um i think that with all the comments that i heard on the air, off the air, on social media, off social media. I think the biggest concern long-term is, one, the injury. I mean, you lose your best defensive player, you could argue, for the season. In the season opener, celebrate. That is just so brutal. I mean, that's just – and it wasn't – you know, it was just, it's just a fluke thing. I mean, I, he wasn't doing anything wrong or outrageous or over the top or anything like that. It just, it just, it just happened. That was bad. But I think the, the offensive line, and again, the offensive line was a major problem last year and the year before too. So that hadn't changed. And if you remember when Kelly got hired, me and several other people, Set made the comment that I think it's going to help on the offensive line um, as much as anything, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen in one game. I mean, you know, there there were several people that I heard or, or saw made comment yet that this, you know, this was a major a major overhaul was made in the old season. You make a major overhaul for for good reasons like everything was changed since last year and so it's not all going to happen in the snap of a finger and i i think he i think you know you got to come to grips with that and i think a lot of people came to grips with that the rough way after watching sunday's game all right let's go to the game hotline talk to our our friend manny hello sir morning kevin good morning let me just say that uh, you know anybody that was shocked. I, I don't think you were. I don't think you, you're being realistic. The man came into a situation that basically is unprecedented. You know, I mean, it, it just it, it had no team whenever the season ended in 
January. That that game they played January, the force of the game with 38, 39 people on the team. They had no team. I, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think anybody. I know it's LSU, and you don't think like that, but the man had no team. He basically started from scratch. You know, now you had, yeah, you know, you have, you have some good players, but you didn't have a team. So, I mean, yeah, this is Mike Norville's third year, and it's just, it, it, it is what it is. You've got to, if you thought you were going to see championship football from LSU this year, I just don't think you you understand, you know, the situation that the man came into. So, you know, and Kevin, and your boy, your favorite coach, the greatest of all time, went 6-6 six and six in his first season. The greatest coach that ever breathed oxygen, Kevin, went 6-6. Six and six. The one, you know, the one that everybody in Baton Rouge just longs to, to have, you know. So, you know, it's good. Expectations, I know, are always high. But, you know, it, it, you got you to gotta sprinkle in some realism in there. So, All right, Manny. You know, so that, what was the thing that disappointed you the most? The thing that disappointed me the most was the defense. I, I, I didn't, you know, I thought the de- and I, yeah, I know they lost a big ball, but that was the, the defensive line is supposed to be the deepest position. You know, it... it I guess I was disappointed the most in the. But but the don't you think seven. don't you think a lesser quarterback they got a lot of pressure on him? I thought I just thought he did yeah. a great job of throwing the ball under pressure and completing passes. Well, you know, one issue as we, uh, you know, I watched uh, you know when I watch football, Kevin, it's, you know, I, I'm not, not I'm, I'm not an expert, but you know, I've been involved in football my whole life, so I watch everything. Different things. A lot of the passes that he threw, like the third down efficiency, was simply we were blitzing and he just, he just, they had a good game plan. We, they just came underneath many times to complete those third and seven, third and eight. There was some pressure. We were blitzing. So, you know, they took advantage of it and he was very cool now. He was very cool, very calm. Uh, but I mean, I, I just didn't think we, we dominated the line of scrimmage like, I hoped we would. I didn't know. I hope. So, you know, uh, you know, you just got to temper expectations. And, you know, you, you just, it is what it is, you know. Uh, so, in all this foolishness about uh, Napier and all, you know, that's so silly, all that. Your boy, Kevin, your boy, professional sports writer. For his whole life, Glenn Gilbert. Now I know he, I know y'all guys write stuff to get responses, but the silliness of Florida having enough courage to hire Billy Napier, the LSU did it, and all that. You know that's just that bush league, but complete and total bush league. I know you probably didn't see that, but you know, of course I'm not a Gilbert fan. I know he's a friend of yours, but anyway, all that foolishness has nothing to do with. Anything that's going on, LSU. The man has a job to do. I still wholeheartedly believe he's going to get the job done. He never has not gotten the job done or building good football teams. So that's just where I stand. But it ain't glorious, too, that Kevin Pirates 
lost the gut wrencher. That, you know, either tired or led for 47 and a half minutes, Kevin Silk and the Tigers. And Bastro's are great. And listen, I want to say one last thing, Kevin. Your boy, Otani, and I know Ray was on a little rant this morning, but MVP, you know, the valuable part, I think, is the part that people leave out when they think about it. And I don't care about awards. I just hear all this baloney all the time. I think the valuable part is what throws everybody off. He is the most talented player in Major League Baseball. One of the most talented of all time. Obviously, the guy's doing things that never been done. Never, Kevin, ever. But he's not the most valuable player. I mean, come on. How can the most valuable player be on one of the worst teams in baseball? So I think the valuable thing is what – you know, well, again, I, I think I think some people that. I think I think the award was meant to name who the best player, who had the best season. I really think that's what it was yeah. meant for. And I think we're, we, yeah. we we over the years we've psychoanalyzed the word valuable to your point. And, I, right. and some and exactly. some people you really know. do that and some people don't. So that's why they vote. Exactly. And it, it, it it's going to be. And that's why I don't worry about it, because. Yeah, I, w- exactly. I want the MV- I want the little MVPs to keep winning their little MVPs, and I keep crushing their face. That's fun. That's fun. Exactly, That's fun. Exactly. I appreciate it, Manny. Exactly. All right, Kevin, Thank listen. you. That's- All right. All right. I'll make some more comments about that later. But for now, we need to take a timeout because we need to get to Michael Schwab, talk a little more about the Astros of the Jukesbox Journal, We'll do that next on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Come back to Footnotes. Want to remind you, Astros giveaway five. On October the 1st, the Astros will be playing the Tampa Bay Rays. Could be a very important game, especially for the Rays. And we'll see how it goes between now and then for the Astros. But if you would like to win four tickets to that game, tour Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations, this is your last Astro weekend getaway. You need to make sure you're part of the the Game Rewards Club. If you are, you could win Astro Getaway 5, October the 1st, brought to you by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All right, we have with us Mr. Michael Schwab of the Jukesbox Journal. How are you, sir? I'm feeling great, but not as good as Hunter Brown. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, great, great perform. You never know how, you know, a rookie's going to do in his major league debut. Um, they were just blum. You were probably at the game, so I don't know if you were listening, but I was watching on TV, and Blum was just amazed because I think he threw the hardest. He had the most velocity on his slider of any pitcher in, in recorded in, in the whole major leagues this season. Like, it was yeah, harder only- than DeGrom's. Exactly. I mean, I think it's absolutely crazy 
when you look at what he was doing, you know, I'm looking at his numbers right now. He had a max fastball 98.2. His slider was 95.7 miles an hour, which is just silly. So, <laughs> you know, Christian Javier will get up to 95 sometimes. Hunter Brown's slider was at 95. And then his changeup was 90 miles an hour. That's the max he gone up, around 87. So you want to be about 10 12% less if you're a fastball. So that's where that changeup is. Uh, so, I mean, Hunter Brown put on a show last night. He went six innings, uh, did not o- allow a run. He allowed three hits and, uh, you know, five strikeouts, which by, if you look at the numbers, that's the best debut by a starting pitcher since 2013 for the Astros, for Jared Kostar. So, I mean, you know, everyone's been talking about Hunter Brown doing great in the Astros system with AAA. He's their number one prospect. You never know how it's going to go, but last night he proved to everyone that he's a big league pitcher. All right, so it sounds like they're talking about going back to a six-man rotation for the rest of September with him up there, which is fine. My question is, can he be an effective relief pitcher in the postseason? Is it Because it seems like he's got the stuff to do it. I think no question. I mean, you look at a lot of these relief pitchers, especially from the minors. You know, they have sights on being a starting pitcher. And if you look at the 2017 roster, and I keep saying this to people I know really well, if you want to do a good comparison, Hunter Brown is your Joe Musgrove in 2017. Joe Musgrove is, you know, pitching out of his mind for the Padres. He was traded away Pittsburgh. But he was on the 2017 squad as a relief pitcher. And he came out in relief uh, in later innings. That's what I think Hunter Brown could absolutely do for this team. Now, what matters most is he's got the stuff, but, you know, does he have the wherewithal for high leverage moments to do it? And last night was a great example in a major league game. He was not even rattled at all. But can he come in during the playoffs and bring a 98-mile-an-hour fastball? You know, he's touched 99. He's almost he, he's gotten to 100, not in the game but he can. That stuff that Seth Martinez cannot do or any of the other, uh, you know, long relief pitchers like a Brandon Belak. So that's something that already puts him above anyone else for the squad. Now you got other high leverage people who are great. Of course, like Brian Abreu, who's really coming up, um, you know, even over Phil Maton. And then you've got your other guys like Naris and Presley. But I, I think that Brown has a case for the, for the playoff roster. All right. So, you know, as I'm watching him pitch last night, I'm thinking about the postseason. And I remember um, El Pedro Grande, who we call Alvarez, and we may get to him before the segment's over, too. But I remember his first postseason, he was absolutely useless. They He just struck out and struck out and struck out. In other words, the moment was too big for him. I kind of feel like young rookie pitchers – have a better chance of being successful in the postseason than young rookie hitters, even though even ones as good as, as El Perro Grande, who had an unbelievable year to play in the postseason, he was terrible. Do you agree with that, or do you think it, it, it's too much of a mixed result to, to say to make that statement? You know, I, you know, we're going between 50, 50, 55, 45 in regard to you know how it all works out. There are some. There's some pitchers that come in and are absolutely lights out. There's some that can't do it. I mean, you look at someone like Lance McCullers, uh, who pitched out of his mind 
You know, he wasn't a rookie in 2017, but he pitched out of his mind in the playoffs. The biggest thing for these guys is that they're in charge of what's going on. You know, whereas a hitter, they're receiving the pitch. and They have to be willing to take the moment. All they can do is either hit or strike out. So when you have someone like Maldonado calling the pitches and working with a pitcher, all that matters is what's in their head and can they execute the pitch. So I would agree with you. I think that the pitchers have a little bit more of the upper hand in regards to being a rookie and doing well. But still, you know, if you don't have the nerves, then you can execute. And execute. And we saw that a little bit with Luis Garcia last playoff. The nerves got to him. Uh, so, you know, what pitcher will we see from regular season to playoffs? It's impossible to know. You just hope that they get in high leverage moments for the rest of the year that they can take care of it. But, you know, I can only imagine what's going through their minds when they're out there. Again, we're speaking with Michael Schwab of the Jukesbox Journal. All right, so you brought up Brian Abreu. I don't know when it was, but it was right before this big streak that he's on. He came into an outing, can't remember who was against, and he just had no control when he's throwing ball and ball, and he, he seems to be totally out of it. And and I'm like, all right, I'm done with this guy. It's like they, we, they've been training will They've been – We've been looking at this guy like with training wheels for two seasons now, and they always talk about how Brett Strom just loved him. And it's like, I'm done with this guy. And since then, since I actually said that, I don't think he's given up a run. Well, I mean, if that was July 13th that you said it, then you were right because he gave up four runs versus the lowly, what do you call them, little MVP? The little Angels. MVPs, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, on July 13th, he gave up four runs. That's the last time he gave up a run. And, you know, the thing about Breu is he's always had the stuff. He's just never had the control. That's been his biggest problem. And he's not walking people as much as he used to do. He's throwing strikes. That's the biggest thing. His strikeout percentage is about 15% higher this year. So he's executing pitches so much better. He can get up to 99. He's hit 100. He actually matched uh, – Brown with the highest pitch mile per hour last night. So he's been sneaky, and he's ne- he's always needed the thing. The biggest problem that Abreu had, and this is just from people I've spoken with the team, is that he never got his head right. He was always just distracted, or his off-seasons were distracted. It seems that this year he actually came in with the mindset to win, and he's – He's, you know, looking and working, and he's trying to be the pitcher that he needs to be. And and we're seeing a good, we're seeing good work from him. So, are you ready to trust him in the postseason and in a two to two game in the eighth inning? I would trust him over Mayton right now. Well, you I see, I, I'm kind of with you on that, Mayton. I've, I don't know. He just, he did great last postseason, but. I'm kind of with you on that, but it's that's going to be a fascinating uh, see how they make those decisions come the postseason. That, I mean, that's what a great problem to have. I mean, you're already your biggest issue is you got so many starting pitchers. You know, how are you going to go with four? Are you going to go three, five man rotation? What are you doing for the ALDS? You know, that's that's a problem. And you know, I, we may see a situation where they leave a starting pitcher off the, the DS because they don't have enough space or enough games. Oh, that could and be, they yeah. Just, yeah, and, and they'll, they'll rely on their bullpen. But, 
you know, they're they're going to have to move somebody to the to the bullpen. What, definitely, probably Javier. And uh, you know, that leaves. What do you do with the other the other bullpen pitchers? So you know, they'll probably be Abreu or Maton. Abreu or Maton. Well, they'll, maybe they'll choose Abreu for how well he's done. Could be. All right. One more question. Um, is El Pedro Grande coming out of it? Or he did. He has had a couple of hits. And do you do? Are you still confident that he can be returned? I'm not saying he's got to play like he did in July, but be a, a, a plus hitter again before the end of the season. I mean, Yoran Alvarez is the second best hitter in the AL this year, outside of Aaron Judge, who's having a ridiculous year. The biggest issue that. Alvarez has had, and I've talked to you about this last time, I think, was it's mental, I think, for him. He was having issues with the one hand. That fixed up. The other hand was having an issue. They took care of it. They did treatment on that. They gave a shot. Last night, he had two balls that he hit with 110-mile-an-hour exit velocity. That means he smacked the heck out of it. That's a good sign. That means he's smacking the ball. He's hitting it. He's got one of the best eyes in baseball. He he doesn't strike out like Aaron Judge does. So I think he's a different player than we've seen before. I don't think we're going to see, you know, his numbers in August and September are never great, but this is a different year for him, and I think he's going to show up to who we really hope he is just as long as he stays healthy. And as I've been saying before, Stay healthy, stay healthy, stay healthy. That's the name of the game before the playoffs. And Bregman has, you know, had a uh, given us some hope that he could return to form, perhaps. And and Icky's done a good job from in right field. So it, you know, if Pedro comes through, then you're going to have a legitimate lineup. Even if Yuli never really, you know, returns to form, I still think you'll have a legitimate lineup there. And we can't forget about Jose Altuve, who's got an OPS of 900. He's in third in AL in OPS. It goes Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, and Jose Alvarez. Yes. It, Jose no, Alvarez. I was commenting yesterday. I, I thought his days of maybe hitting 300 were over. And, you know, he, if he gets really hot here, he could hit 300. He's hitting like 290. I mean, uh, uh, beyond my expectations for him this year, I, he, he he's doing really well. And he's hitting some balls to right field again, which is great to see. Well, look, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. And, Hope things just keep going well. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Fred. And if you guys want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Michael Schwab13. I got the Juice Box General newsletter. You can find me there. Thank All you, right. Kevin. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. No, follow him. Uh, Michael does a great job and very insightful. And if you are an Astro fan, you need to follow him. No question about that. Um, and appreciate his time as always. We'll take a time out, come back, finish out the first hour on the game. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. All right. Uh, a lot of Michael Schwab was very good as always. And. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Hunter Brown. Um, obviously, his raw stuff was there. Right now, it's all about what, how, how is it going to work come playoff time. And so, he seems to have 
you know, they 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 say his curveball was his best pitch, and I I didn't think his curveball was his first or second best pitch last night. Now that was just you know one outing. Seemed like he didn't throw his curveball for strikes a ton, uh, but I mean he, he he's got a plus curveball. His slider is a plus slider and a plus fastball. So it seems like. And the thing that was so good is that he threw strikes. And it doesn't mean he's always going to throw strikes. It's one outing. But he seems to have the stuff and the control to be an effective relief pitcher. Again, to Michael's point, there's no way of knowing how anybody, much less a rookie, who's never been in the playoffs before, how they're going to react when they get into that kind of a pressure situation. So there's just no way of knowing. I mean, you know, his 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 road to being to last night's performance is a unique one. He was hardly recruited out of high school. He went to a Division two school, and now he was like the number one prospect in the Astro organization and called up and threw six shutout innings with electric stuff in, in his first outing. So... It's going to be very interesting to watch each one of his starts between now and September, I mean in October, and then what happens after that. All right, that's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The game hotline 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to get in, now is the time to do so. We'll be speaking to Cody Juno about Cajun football in the um, in the next segment and have lots to review with the Cajuns and the Sun Belt after their season opening 24 to 7 win over the Southeastern Lions. Again, Astros tonight. You can hear it right here on um, one, the game, 1037 Lafayette. Astros Rangers. Last night, Martin Perez. It was very interesting to see what would happen with the Astros and Martin Perez again. Martin Perez had dominated the Astros, owned them in his career. And the last two outings, his first two outings this year, he dominated them again twice. Two outings ago, the Astros lit him up big time with seven runs. And then the last outing, they lit him up again with five runs. And and so I didn't know what to expect in this kind of rubber kind of game, I guess you'd say, because they were two and two. And he pitched very well, and yet the Astros still found a way to win. Tonight's game at 7-10 is Framber Valdez pitching, so something might have to give here. The Rangers have lost nine in a row, and Framber Valdez has had, what you know, whatever it is, 23 or, you know, he's about to set an all-time record for consecutive um you know, he set the franchise record, and now he's going towards bigger consecutive starts, consecutive quality starts. So we'll see what gives tonight uh, at Minute Maid Park, 7-10 first pitch. And, again, you can hear it right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette. All right. Um, I say that, or is it News Talk 98.5? 
I don't know. We might have to look at in that. I might have spoke uh, too quick on that. All right. There's something that I keep hearing. And yesterday, you know, there are things that are said all the time, and we just kind of buy them. I, I, I mentioned one yesterday. You, you make the most improvement from game one to game two. That's something we've heard forever. We've all repeated it at some point probably. And yet, I don't know how true that really is. I mean, I'm sure in some cases it is true. We talked about yesterday, um, you know, why people say that, why it's repeated over and over again. But again, I, I think it's it's not true just as often or more often than it is. I, I think that's something that people just say. Uh, and, and I don't know how, how really true it is. But another thing that, not exactly like that, but kind of like that, I keep hearing over and over again from all, at all levels, and it, it's not as important, it's not as much of an assessment, but, but, but it's like, come on now. Like, I keep hearing the we, we talk, players and coaches talk about the little things. Well, we've got to do little things like block on field goals. We got to do the little things like catch punts. We got to do the little things like not fumble. Folks, those are not little things. Like <laughs> I think the I the uh, I, I, when did when did fumbling become a little thing? That is a ginormous thing in the sport of football. When did not blocking and getting a field goal block become a little thing? We got wait. We we need to we need to shrink this umbrella of what we're calling little things. Those are huge things. Huge things. So. Uh, I've been I've been hearing way too many huge things be referred to as little things. No, those things are not little. Those are huge. Fumbles are huge. And one of the things that I think was the most interesting thing, and, and I'll ask Cody about this. And I pro my problem is I don't even know if I can look it up. Um this would take quite a bit of research. So I guess trusting coaches with statistics is not always the right thing to do. But even if it's close, even if this statement is not totally accurate, even if it's anywhere near accurate, it's still impressive to me. Um, the significance of it. See, I don't, do you equate a fumble with a sack? Like in Coach Dez's press conference yesterday, he talked about how much, essentially, he does not like sacks as an offensive play caller. I mean, I certainly don't like sacks. But I don't know that at least in evaluating and analyzing the Cajuns, I put it in the same category as interceptions and fumbles and not blocking people, which I guess is – you know, the not blocking one that kind of leads to the sacks. But he made this statement, Coach Dez, yesterday, that in the last two years, the Cajuns have not scored a single touchdown 
on a possession where there was a sack. Like, wow. That is a that was a mate when I when he said that I was like, man, not once did they get a sack of five, six, seven yards and overcome it and still score a touchdown. Wow. So I guess depending on the team and your style of play, what you call a little thing, like we gotta do the little things. When I hear someone say, we got to do the little things like field punts, well, that's not a little thing. That's a big thing. That Fielding a punt most of the time, it ended up not the amazing thing about LSU's game Saturday, I mean Sunday night, was they fumbled two punts deep in their territory and they didn't give up a point. That's how messed up that football game, that, that game was a mess. Like, it's hard to evaluate those two teams. The Florida State did a lot of things good, but, man, they did some stupid stuff. LSU did some things good, but, man, they did some stupid stuff. Now, one thing, um, I you know, I don't think field goal kicking is a little thing. That's a big thing to me. Got to better make field goals. Cages missed another one. One one person that I that I saw some criticism of yesterday that I think – LSU fans need to chill on a little bit is the kicker. I think the kicker is going to be good. He looked good to me. Now, I, you know, it's not the kicker's fault that they didn't block in front of him. So I understand that I was – some people think I was being too critical of the quarterback yesterday and I wasn't giving enough – I wasn't give, putting enough blame on the offensive line. I agree with the assessment that the offensive line is – not good part of being part of what I'm talking about with the quarterback and maybe I jumped the gun a little bit if the offensive line is really that bad but part of it is you got to get the ball away like I'm just worried that Daniels is one of these quarterbacks I'm not comparing him to Russell Wilson. Because, look, I don't think Jay Daniels is an NFL starting quarterback candidate. I don't think he is. Um, I, I, I just, if he's constantly, if he's not going to get rid of the ball and he's constantly going to be wanting to run, which you can get, I love quarterbacks that run for first downs, but not, you know, at quite the rate he was having to. And again, that you might say, well, that's all on the offensive line, and that could be. But I, I just I worry that he's always going to be gun-shy to throw because he's going to be leaning towards running the football. And, and and as you move forward and play better defenses, how is how much is that going to work? Again, I'm talking about the passing game. There's nothing wrong with a quarterback, especially at the collegiate level, I wouldn't want it at the professional level, at the NFL level, running for, you know, 100 yards. But I heard someone say not one of his runs was a design run. I don't know if that's totally accurate, but it's probably pretty close if it's not. And when you're running for 100 yards and it's not design runs, that's not good. So I agree the offensive line issue uh, are real. So, um, again, I just... Let's just be a little more careful of what we consider little things. Now, I don't know that I ever considered a sack if I'm rooting for the offense as a little thing, 
But I don't know that I ever put it at the level of a, of a turnover. And it didn't sound like Coach Daz and his coaching staff like socks very much. <laughs> he was he was pretty specific on that yesterday, and that was a that was a wow stat. I, I think I would have put going into yesterday. I would have put it in between a little thing and a big thing. Certainly not a big thing, and certain. And I don't know that I would say it's a little thing because it it can totally crush a drive. But like to me, a sack. It's worse than like an offensive holding call because you lose the down. But I I don't know. I think most sacks are like minus five, minus six, minus seven. I guess sometimes you have sacks where you lose 10 yards. But a lot of times, I would think most sacks, you lose less than 10 yards. You lose between six and nine yards. But you do lose that down as well. Another thing that um, I wanted to comment on, because we mentioned this yesterday, and Coach Desermo um, cleared it up in the press conference, at least in his mind, is that the offensive, that the intentional grounding call on Chandler Fields in Saturday's game, according to, to Coach Dez, was the accurate call. And... What he, was, what he said was, in his explanation, was that the ball's not supposed to be snapped and that when it was snapped, I think Chandler just kind of like, uh-oh, what am I supposed to do with this hot potato? And he just threw it. Uh, and so, to me, he wasn't trying to get – he wasn't trying to avoid a sack and he wasn't trying to conserve time. He was just trying to end the play. And he chose the wrong. I, I I just don't. To me, that's not the spirit of what intentional grounding really is. But according to Coach Dez, it was the right call. And so, you know, I'm. That's probably a good thing that that happened because it happened in a game where they won by 17 points, and it didn't really impact the re- final result. And so maybe it's the best thing that that happened because then it won't impact the final result in the future, maybe a close game where it might decide a game, something like that. All right. We will take a timeout and come back and connect with Cody Juno and talk more Cajun football from week one and looking into week two on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now, a season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents. Also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana sports station. You're home for the LSU Tigers. And the Houston Astros, we have with us Mr. Cody Juno, who 
was probably very happy that it did not rain during the game at Cajun Field, or is that a lie, Cody? Oh, no, 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 100% very happy. In fact, you know, pregame, right as kickoff was coming, still a light drizzle, but because of kind of the humidity, I decided to just ditch the rain jacket, and, um, you know, as it turns out, I didn't need it the rest of the contest, but it was getting to that point where it was too hot with the rain jacket on for not enough rain, you know, and so we had to make a calculated decision there to, to ditch the rain jacket. All right, so I'm sure you, like me, have heard some people who were okay with Saturday's performance. Other people were were overly critical. Uh, you know, the Cajuns did cover. At least the last I heard, the spread was around 14, and they won by 17. I understand that the, the offense hit the skids in the second half a little bit. Um, overall, which side would you fall on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I walked away uh, maybe more impressed uh, with the defense than I thought I would be going into it, right, uh, and, and the way that that crew was able to play. Uh, now, I do think that there are issues that, that you know, the defense is going to have to figure out, and we, we can talk about that as things go on. You know, I thought both quarterbacks did some things well. Um, you know, I personally would like to see maybe Chris Smith use and, and I think we said this as much last year, right? Use in a different role, right? Let those bigger backs really run the football. Use Chris out the backfield to, to catch the ball and hit kind of those quick plays on the outside. You know, but the other thing to me is, right, the Cajuns only had three drives in the first half. And and so, yes, it's, you know, 17 nothing going into the um, – or 10 nothing going into the half, excuse me. And uh, but but you've got to it can all of a sudden be 17, right? If they're able to, to knock it in, and so only had the ball for those three possessions in, in the first half, and then yeah, you're right, hit the skids. Uh, some of it self-inflicted, some of it I, I think maybe adjustments made by Southeastern. Uh, I think overall, um, you know, slightly above average performance, uh, but but a performance that you probably expect in week one with so many new pieces, moving parts, right? It's the first game. Uh, with this coaching staff, so what do those adjustments look like? Uh, you know, it, it's being coached in game by this staff for the first time for the players. So uh, I, I would give it an above average, um, you know, pass. At the end of the day, the Cajuns have now won 14 in a row, and in the reality is you want to just look to get better each and every week, and I'll have an opportunity to do that again on Saturday. All right. So when they were on the third drive, they were they were actually up 17 nothing. At the time, so on the third drives, you got a fourth and one. Um, are you thinking, coach, kick the field goal, or are you thinking, um, coach, go for it? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry, looking at the, the drive chart there yeah. and the uh, the their growers uh, punt return is it's not listening to that. So yeah, seventeen nothing. No, absolutely, go go for the jugular, make it twenty four, and then in the game uh, in in the first half. Absolutely, I've got no problem uh, with that decision right there. Is it me or did, did did Chris just run a little more tentatively than you than you thought he would? I don't know that, that he ran you know more tentatively. I just think that the, his style of running, right? I mean, he had uh, twelve attempts for you know forty five yards, forty four uh, total after a loss, along with thirteen. Um, I just think because we saw this a season ago, right? They, they came out in the first couple of games, and, and to me, tried to make Chris Smith the feature back. And uh, I think it's a role that is is better suited for those bigger guys, right? Terrence Williams, Jacob Cabote. I like to, both of those guys brought 
even Draylon Washington, uh, who only had you know three rushing attempts. Um, but Chris Smith has got a special skill set, right? His ability to catch the football, his ability to use that speed, um, you know, kind of get out on the perimeter. I understand that you've got to make the defense respect that he can run it up the middle, which he can from time to time. I just think that you know, with the, the backs that the Cajuns have. I think there's a, you know, he can maybe be used a little bit more in the, in the passing game, uh, and that'll really show off his skill set. All right, again, we're speaking with Cody Juno, who's a sideline reporter for Cajun football. So, um, I was impressed with Terrence Williams. He does his body does look better as the, as advertised. I thought then a year ago, and you know, he had what ten carries for sixty one yards on, on on that one on that drive that ended in the uh, going for it on fourth down and missing it. He had three carries in a row for 30 yards. I, I thought he looked good. No, I, I mean, I agree with you, right? I think that, you know, when you go back from Saturday, you, one big thing that you probably want to see more of, and that's just consistency, right, offensively. Um, and that obviously led to some of those stalls, especially in the second half. And uh, But, yeah, I, I thought there were a number of good pieces that we saw uh, throughout the night from the Cajun offense, including Terrence Williams running the football. All right, so here we go again. Um, you look at the – obviously the tight ends, including especially Johnny Lumpkin, had a big night, and I, I think that's tremendous. I mean, you know me. We've, I've been trying to get the tight end to be a bigger part of this offense or hoping that it would be for a decade. But And, and that was good. But other than that, just looking at wide receivers, very few – like I think the most any of them had were two catches. And so, yeah, no. So we talked Tom about that a lot last year. Mm-hmm. We talked no, about I, that again, a lot. Are we going to be talking about that all again this year, all year again? Look, I think that there's, you know, I mean, one play that sticks out to my mind, two plays, right? The uh, the sideline play, it's a tough catch. Aaron Rodgers has to make that. Uh, ben Woolrich's first series, right? Uh, Michael Jefferson's got a slant that he just flat out drops, and he flat out drops it because he sees the end zone because he he's going to catch that ball and just cut up the middle of the field, right? And and so for me, it's just more consistency from uh, you know that wide receiver core. But I thought the offense as a whole, right, needs to show more consistency, and I think you expect some of that in in week one. Uh, look, they still spread the ball around, right? Uh, I mean, twenty total receptions by you know, a, a dozen different guys, right? 11 guys, I think is the number. And so they spread the football around, which they're going to continue to do. Uh, you know, for, for me, it's it's more about consistency. And if we go, you know, if we enter, if, we have, if we're having this conversation next week and then maybe the following week, then I think it, it could be time to get concerned, but not quite time to uh, press, the, press the panic button for me yet. So, but again, I, and, and I'm not saying I and the people that kind of been discussing this for a few years, and we discussed this more than once, you and I on the air. I'm not saying we're, it, it, that opinion is right. I'm just trying to figure that out. Is it good that 11 different receivers caught the ball? I don't mind that. Um, yeah, I mean, right. The, the I guess the question, the philosophical question is, you know, is there more rapport if you're playing less guys than more guys, right? Does it does it help folks kind of stay in a rhythm, play in the game? I still didn't feel like they played a whole bunch of people like we've seen in the past, if that makes sense, right? Like, the reality is, especially in that, that, that tight end room, 
you've got two tight ends and, and kind of more of an H-back, right, in, in, in Pierce Meagle. All play an integral role in the offense. And then at that wide receiver position, you are going to rotate guys in and out, right? I mean, six, seven guys, you know, and then a couple backs catching, catching the ball as well. So I'm not concerned by the number of players catching passes, right? Uh, you know, can we see more consistency? And maybe, to your point, playing less or, or throwing to less targets creates more consistency. I don't know that I, I'm ready to go there yet, but I'm telling you, I think Michael Jefferson's going to have a special year, you know, and, and so can they just kind of get into a rhythm and we'll see them maybe get a little bit more consistent. All right. I, I think it's difficult to judge the defense after week one because – it to me by about the third quarter it started being pretty obvious they weren't doing up they weren't being overly aggressive on defense and coach Dez in the post game press conference even said they were pretty basic on defense for two yep. reasons one you had a running quarterback who's not really known as an expert passer and, and you, you had early on. right and you had some guys in the secondary that were a little green and you were missing a starter in Trey Amos so if you did a bunch of pressure and he beat it then he might could get a big play with his legs that didn't need to really be given up and so I think they were I hate that word vanilla but I think they were vanilla on defense and and so we have to wait and see how this defense is going to perform against a more um, marks, you know, a passer with a little more marksmanship. Okay, so I do agree with you on the fact that the Cajuns did not show a lot. They did not pressure a lot, right? Not a number of, not a whole bunch of blitzes. You know, I, I don't even know if I can recall maybe five blitzes right from from the game. Um, still, with that being said, the Cajuns struggled to get pressure with four defensive linemen, right? And when you're playing vanilla defense. And, and I get it. Some of that's probably the contain, right, with Cephas Johnson and his ability to run. So maybe that alters the way you're, you're pass rushing. I just felt that, especially as the game wore on and you got into the third quarter, where the Cajun offense was sputtering, right? And and so the defense was on the field more, and Southeastern was going on some of these longer drives. That a lack of depth along that defensive front really, really showed itself uh, as as the game, you know, carried on the Cajuns. That front four just were not able to to get pressure, where a year ago, you know, they could get pressure with just four, and 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 allow the rest of that defense to really, you know, do some of the special things that it that it did. So that for me is something I want to watch moving forward, is the depth along the defensive front, and how are they able to get pressure without having uh, to have Lamar Morgan dollop blitzes here in the future. All right, what, and you don't have to be totally honest if you don't want to, but what went through your head when they missed a field goal? Uh, what went through I, my head when what? When they missed a field goal. I mean, I'm like, here we go again. I mean, it's just uh, – and look, it's the kid's first miss. It's his first game. I, I, you know, it's not really about him, but it's like they I, – I hope – because look, Coach Dez passed on a very makeable field goal – that theoretically, you know, a lot of teams would make, would kick rather than going forward on fourth down uh, in the fourth quarter. And, and and it's one game. It's the kid's first miss. I don't even know how long he's going to be the starter, but I sure hope we don't go through a whole other season where you have no confidence in the field goal kick. You know, for, 43 yards, right? Um, so a, a longer field goal, a um, you know, but, but probably a field goal that, that you expect to be made look the hashtag college kickers deal is real uh i mean just you know watch a number of the games over the weekend 
um, you know, whether it was Sunday night or whether it was ECU, right? Um, those two games pop, pop into to my mind. So I, again, one kick, uh, but honestly, like the extra points were all good. Like I wasn't holding my breath on an extra point. So I think that's a step in the right direction. We'll see how the, the, uh, the season continues to, to play out, um, you know, from the kicking part, but do you want to make them? Well, of course you do. Uh, but am I overly concerned thinking, oh man, this could be a major issue? No. Uh, my answer to that would be not have the offense stall out. All right, so what's the big thing you're hoping to see against Eastern Michigan, who sounds like has a little more ability to move the football and is going to test the secondary more that you didn't see this past Saturday? Well, I mean, look, it's it's uh, Eastern Michigan is going to come to town uh, after giving up 492 yards of offense to Eastern Kentucky, right? Um, you know, EMU put up uh, 395 yards on oh, 63 plays, so 6.3, um, you know, 271 of that coming through the air, running for another 124. So, like, outgained offensively uh, by a wide margin by their opposition uh, this week, right? I think for the Cajuns, right, it's not to sound like a broken record, but it's consistency on offense, right, going out, executing. And by the way, I thought the offense was fairly bland as well, right? If, if we're going to say the defense was, uh, I, I thought I thought the – you know, the Cajuns offense was, was fairly bland as, as well. Um, but so consistency, right? So running the right routes, being on time, catching the football. And I would like to see those those backs, you know, that we talked about maybe get more touches running the ball. On defense, it's, it's what I just said, Kevin. They've got to find a way to get pressure with four, uh, have enough of a threat there. The Cajuns aren't going to be forced to rely on on blitzing, and it's the depth along the defensive front that, that kind of has me concerned. Um, you know, I thought the Cajun offensive line at times played well. I thought at other times uh, broke some, you know, some things in pass protection broke down, and in southeastern Louisiana was able to get home in that second half without dialing up a, a number of blitzes. So that's something that's got to continue to improve moving forward. But I think really from week one to week two, if the Cajuns show consistency, right, and that comes to catching the football, I think mainly, uh, you know, as we talk about offensively, uh, I would expect a, a more crisp performance out of Louisiana on Saturday. So, but Taylor Powell, the old Troy quarterback, he he's not going to be the rushing threat that Cephas was. So, I would think the strategy on defense would be very different in this game. Yeah, I mean, no, no, absolutely, right. Again, right. We, and, and to your point, we don't. Things were kept very much in front of the Cajun defense, right? Very bland. Very, I mean, uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see them start to dial some things up. You know, I don't, I don't know how much the Cajun coaching staff was, quote, holding things for this week or the next week, right, uh, as much as maybe that was just a game plan. But, yes, yeah, a different game plan. But still, Kevin, if you're playing coverage and everybody, like, you want to get home with four, and I just didn't see that on, on Saturday. That that is fair. So, um, is it going to rain Saturday? Of course, it's going to rain. <laughs> it's South Just, Louisiana. Have you it was raining on the way here, and I'm thinking, not again, another day with rain. But again, I was joking with some family members. I'm like, are y'all going to the game? Talking about my wife and daughters and son, and I'm like, it's not going to rain during the game. I know it's raining right, right. now, but it's not going to. And they all, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. But it didn't rain during the game. 
what didn't ring in the game, and, and I do think, and, and we'll get obviously a, a better forecast as we get closer. But I think it's prob I think it's forecasted to be very similar, right? Afternoon rain, six o'clock kickoff. You know, hopefully those showers will, will be gone by then. But yeah, no, it was. I left the gym this morning. It was raining. Took the kids to school. It was raining. We just we can't get away from the rain. <sighs> I just hope the Astros rain a few more base hits tonight. We'll see how how that goes. Uh, things uh, are a score, lot better. Score more, than, score more than the other team. That 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 is in, true. In every sport, you score more than the other team. Um, you yeah. know. It's got a good chance of working out. Yes, you can be in good shape. (laughs) By the way, this is a lot better than a week ago. A week ago, if you remember, the Chauncey (laughs) Garner-Johnson. Oh, I I feel a little better than a week ago. You were were stressing out a little bit. Yeah, I've done that before. No, not you. (laughs) All right, Cody, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. Hopefully we have another W to uh, review next week. Thank you. You got it, my friend. We'll see you then. All right. Cody Juno, Cajun sideline reporter. And, and again, like I said last week, he's good at normally kind of getting me to calm down and laugh a little bit and not look for the edge of a cliff. All right. We'll take a timeout. Come back with more on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. An award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foote is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game hotline is 706-0111. If you would like to comment on anything Cody and I just discussed with Cajun football or any of the previous conversations, maybe with Michael Schwab and the Astros again, exciting night for the Astros. You got our Hunter Brown makes his debut and pitches six shutout innings. Uh, just one of the crazy things about baseball. The only RBI of the night was by Candy Maldonado, arguably the worst hitter on the Cajuns team, on the Cajuns, on the Astros team. And yet, it's one of these things that make baseball baseball. Martin Perez has owned the Astros, we've said many times, except for these two starts that kind of came out of nowhere where the Astros crushed him. No hitter in the Astros team has more hits or a higher batting average against Martin Perez than Candy, who's arguably the worst hitter on the team. Candy has more hits against Martin Perez than any other pitcher in the history of his career. Like, on all of his career, he has more hits against Martin Perez, who owns the Astros. He's hitting like 500 in his career against Martin Perez, who hardly no Astros ever hit against this guy, with the exception of the two games earlier in his career. It's just bizarre, but that's that's baseball. Um, um, getting back to some of the things that 
Cody and I discussed. I it again, there are a lot of people on both sides of the fence on that issue of the wide receivers. Is it good that 10, 11, 12 different receivers catch the ball? We love saying that it's good. Like Drew Brees used to do that some. And we oh man, he don't he just, you know, throws here and he throws here and whoever's open and it can work. I just prefer the other way. I, I prefer to have a, you know, in a perfect world, your number one receiver catches five, six, seven balls. Your number two receiver catches three, four, five balls. And you just kind of know where you're going with the foot. I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's it's hard to put a finger on if what's good and what's bad in that scenario. It's like in the post-game press conference, they kept saying it. Johnny Lumpkin himself has said it over and over. The ball finds you. I, um, I You certainly don't want quarterbacks forcing the ball into double coverage. You never want that. But you just wonder, how is it that really good receivers – ever put up numbers then. I I don't know. It's a um I don't know that I have the answer. I just pretty sure I prefer that my number 1 and number 2 receivers have way more catches than everyone else. And 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 how that works itself out in an individual game, it may not work that way. What I'm talking about is that, you know, your stats at the end of a season kind of a thing. But uh we'll see how it plays out as the season um, goes on, but it's certainly interesting. Something else uh, that we haven't mentioned yet, I alluded to the Appalachian State 63-61. I call it the Bob. I, I just don't think that's football. Uh, 63-61, that's just, I think it's awful. Now, again, it was probably an exciting game to watch, but I um, that's way too many points for me. I think it's awful, but. There were other games that there, there weren't a lot of other games like that. I mean, around the Sunbelt Conference, we mentioned ODU beat Virginia Tech 20 to 17. That's a good score. Troy. It's hard to judge these games early in the season. Troy lost to Ole Miss 28-10. That's not all that bad. I'm talking more of the Troy's defense, which is pretty good. Only give up 28 points to Ole Miss who most of us think of as more of a high-flying type offense. Um, South Alabama beat Nichols 48-7. to South Alabama's going to be good. And, you know, we've all said it. South Alabama kick a field goal. They beat the Cajuns last year. They physically competed with the Cajuns two years before that. And so... That's going to be a little bit of a tricky game, I think, the South Alabama game. James Madison crushed Middle Tennessee 44-7. to Cajuns don't play James Madison, but I think they're going to be good. Southern Miss is a program that in the last year or so has had a lot of issues, a lot of issues. If you missed it, they lost to Liberty 29-27 in four overtimes. So at least played a pretty good game. And Coastal Carolina beat Army. Uh, Georgia State, a little disappointing. They got beat three touchdowns to South Carolina. Uh, that was a little disappointing. But all these other scores are pretty good. 
And so Georgia State got off to a slow start last year, and supposedly it was mostly because of the quarterback situation. But here they are getting off to a slow start again. So we'll see. We'll kind of monitor those teams as the season goes on. So, But overall, pretty good week one for the Sun Belt. And, you know, I, I think I understand there's always going to be people that they like to make fun of the Sun Belt, and I get it. But uh, on the field, it's kind of hard to argue with the progress that's been made. And, you know, from a conference realignment Sun Belt, standpoint the Sun Belt has been tremendous they've made tremendous decisions they've added teams the conferences is healthier than it's ever been and the future looks brighter than it ever has looked and on the field in the sport of football they've had a lot of nice performances a lot of nice wins and the Cajuns are right in the middle of that and so uh, I think overall it's it's pretty good pretty good week one for the Sun Belt Conference and we'll see how that um, progresses next week, and you know, you, you know, you, you certainly want the Cajuns to beat Eastern Michigan's of the world, and that you know they're in a they're a pretty good program in a somewhat comparable conference, and so you want to win those games. You know, that's just part of con- you know the whole conference pride and the progress of the conference and all that. But I'm really not as worried about that as just seeing how this team progresses from week one to week two. I. I don't know. Cody made the comment that the offense was vanilla like the defense. I don't know that it was as vanilla. I guess we'll find out as these next couple of weeks come on. Um, it is true that every matchup is a little bit different. And I think that the strategy that they used against Southeastern to hold them to seven points is I wouldn't think that strategy would work as well against Eastern Michigan. I don't even think they would – try that strategy against Eastern Michigan. It does, from a Cajun fan perspective, uh, to the statistics Cody was bringing up, they gave up 34 points to Eastern Kentucky and even more yards than that sounded like. Like, they really gave up a lot of yards. So that's a pretty good sign, and we'll see if uh, the Cajuns can take full advantage uh, and score more points. But, you you know, you got to hope that you continue to stay on the plus side of the turnover ratio and on the plus side is of the penalty battle, which the Cajuns have been really good at doing in recent years. That's why they've won so many games. Look, we talked about it over and over. 13 and one in one score games. Saturdays was not a one score game. It kind of felt that way a little bit in the second for a little stretch there in the second half. But again, they didn't win by one score, they won by seventeen. So yeah, I think we can kind of give them a little bit of a pass for week one, and we'll see um, what happens after that. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show. Next on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And I can now say it confidently, I said it earlier, but didn't have as much confidence as I do now that tonight's game, Astros-Rangers, can be heard right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles. Uh, game two of that series, again, a little bit of a little bit of an interesting contest in that you know, a lot of you don't, you know, 
don't pay attention to streaks and stuff or worry yourself with that as much as I do. But I never like playing a team that's on a long losing streak. I want to get the Rangers, get a couple wins, and get out of here and let them go, let baseball win a game for them late, you know, with someone else. But they, um, they've lost nine in a row now, the Rangers. And Framber has this really, you know, he broke the Astros' streak, uh, set the Astros' record for consecutive starts with quality start. And, again, a quality start is six, at least six innings. Like, again, if you go five innings and you give up no runs, that's not a quality start according to the quality start rule. So on one hand, you might say, well, six innings and giving up three runs, that's not really that good. But if you go five innings and give up no runs, it doesn't meet the criteria. you got to go at least six innings. And so you have to have at least some... Now, six, you know, I still don't, like, if, if if Justin Verlander or Framber Valdez pitches in a playoff game and they lead after the sixth inning, I'm going to be screaming, a six-inning pitcher, and not be happy about it. So I get that. But still, in today's era, going six, at least six innings, and again, understand, like the last start he made, he went eight innings. He didn't just go six innings. When you evaluate how good of an accomplishment that is or not, don't assume that he's just going six innings in all these starts. He's a he's an old school workhorse pitcher, Framber. He's strong, and so he's going seven and eight in all in most of these starts. He's not just going six and giving up three runs. Now, a couple of these what twenty three straight that he's on, or was it twenty four? Whatever he's on, twenty three, twenty four in a row. A couple of them, he has only gone six innings and given up three runs, but nowhere near most of them. Most of them, he's gone more than six innings and given up fewer than three runs. That's why his ERA is one of the best in 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 in, in baseball. He, he's you know, this isn't Bob Welsh winning twenty seven games with an ERA of well over three. You know, in whatever year that was, nineteen ninety. This is. Uh, he he's got an ERA that starts with two. He's not he doesn't have the run support of a Jose Arquiti who I don't know how he does it, but man, other than a few a few exceptions, he almost it's unbelievable how many runs the Astros score for him. Hopefully that continues in the postseason. So we'll see how that plays out tonight. But again, the point of all that is you can hear the game tonight, seven ten. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Tomorrow, we'll be talking, having our weekly conversation with Cokie Riley and see what he has to say after Sunday night's game. A lot, lot of issues to discuss with Cokie on tomorrow's show for sure. And um, I'm sure he's been fighting off uh, negative emails and comments coming from all angles after LSU's 24-23 loss. Again, it's kind of a shame because I think 24-23 is the perfect football score, but that was not the perfect football game. That game did not deserve a 24-23 final score, but that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. All right, I appreciate um, Cody coming on and Michael coming on and all the phone calls. Y'all have a nice day.